My name's Drew. I'm uh, a pastor here at Hope Community Church. We're thrilled that you're here. Love that you're here at Hope Heights with us today. Um, first things first, uh, I'm not the same person who was just playing guitar, although I am just another white-bearded guy with a checkered shirt. Uh, that was not intentional, but I think we both have a couple shirts. So we've talked, there's different weeks we've talked and we say one week it's going to happen. Today was the day. So you're all here for that. You can tell your friends. I was here the day Jordan and Drew wore the same shirt. <laughs> so silly. I uh, love it. I love it. All right. Um, I am very excited you're here today. Uh, I have a person who I, I uh, appreciate his writing, and I think he'd just be cool to hang out with. And so I, this is Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and lots of other things. He seems like a person who would just be like kind of fun to sit with by a tree somewhere in England. And I don't know. I, I don't know much about him, except that he'd have a cool accent. And I feel like he'd just tell you story after story. Um, I learned new things about him often that um, I love in his friendship with C.S. Lewis, who I also love. If I could hang out with all of them together, that would be a pretty magical. Um, and in my mind, uh, Tolkien is like really old. Like he, came, he like wrote his books um, by hand, like there weren't typewriters. Because I, I like that it feels like old and ancient. Forgetting that he actually uh, like lived not that long ago. And, the other, and, and recently I actually stumbled upon like an interview with him on film. <laughs> And I went like, oh my goodness, there were cameras when he was alive. Uh, and he was everything I hoped for. I thought, I just want to hang out. Half the time I couldn't understand him. He had this sweet, uh, like mumbly British thing. Oh, I just loved it. I loved it. And so um, I, was, I was digging watching videos of him because it made me feel like I got a little time to hang out with him. Uh, and he has a moment in an interview with the BBC where he talks about, they are asking him, what's, why did he write Lord of the Rings? What's the point of Lord of the Rings? And he says, oh, people think I, I wrote it about nuclear war. People think I, I wrote it just about explaining like the friendship of good people, which he said, you know, that, that definitely shows friendship. But he said, I, he, I essentially wrote it about what he says kind of everything is about. It's a central thing that's in every story. And I love how he explains it. And it really helps introduce today, I think, uh, a central story that we're all going to look at as we look in the book of Romans. But look, I have the clip because I'm so excited. I did end up putting subtitles to most of it because it is, it is a, a journey to sometimes understand. There are moments I didn't understand and I just didn't put subtitles. So you can figure out yourself. But this is, this is Tolkien talking on in an interview, uh, I think in the 70s, um, maybe. Uh, here it is. Here, here it is. He can't read the story. If you really come down to any large story, it interests people for holding their attention for a considerable time or, or make the, the stories, practically always a human story, it's practically always about one thing, aren't they? Death. The inevitability of death. I don't know if you would agree with that, but anyway, that is what um, I, there was a quotation from uh, uh, Simon Beauvoir that I read in the paper uh, the other day, which seems to me put in a nutshell. I, mean, I, I think I'll read it to him. There is no such thing as a natural death. Nothing that happens to man is ever natural, since his presence calls the whole world into question. All men must die, but for every man his death is an accident. And even if he knows it and consents to it, an unjustifiable violation. Well, you may agree with uh, words or not, but those are the 
are the keyspring of the Lords of the Ring. Don't you just want to hang out with him? I, I don't even well, I don't even know what he's saying. So there's part in the actual interview where they have like real subtitles from the BBC where there's unknown unknown. It says like unknown mumbling. <laughs> it's so good. I just you could tell there's like a hundred things going through his head, and then you're like you just get whatever that one thing is he says. I I love this uh, moment because they ask about all these things. And I went death. Lord of the Rings is about death. Uh, and then even discovering more things that he said about this, it's this it's part of every story, and it's the part of the story that brings tension. It's a it, in lots of our stories, it's the part that we are so excited that people didn't end up dying, right? They escaped through an adventure. Or they had the story is the dealing with the grief and the pain that comes from that. Death really is at the center of many stories and, and many um Lots of pain, right? And suffering that we deal with. And so death is a thing that we all are in, all, is in all of our stories, whether it's our own or something we have to deal with around us. It's, it's a pain that we carry with us. Grief is something that uh, many, all of us at some point will feel and carry with us. And it's a thing that we see throughout scripture as a, uh, something that's talked about. So first, just death in general is, is treated that the moment of that, uh, is treated in a way that people throughout all of time have tried to explain what happens, maybe not in the moment, but after that moment. So we're going to start there. We're going to start with what do people have thought. And so throughout all of history, there's lots of different views of what it looks like. Often, if you if you really uh, like whittle it down, it's often common things. If you look at ancient Egyptians, they saw us as having dual souls. They called them uh, ka and ba and the idea was that you had like a soul that stayed here in your body and then you had like a separate soul that went off to like the afterworld for them it floated in a, on a boat uh, like other cultures actually had a similar idea they actually found boats in tombs that you'd float your body to the afterlife uh, in some chinese culture there's also a dual soul the idea is you you stay here your body stays here but part of you goes somewhere else and that explains what happens then in kind of this unknown mysterious could be scary thing greeks had a similar thing they thought of the difference between a body and a soul and so your body kind of turns to dirt but your soul that's the good part of you uh, goes off this actually is something that creeped into the, the church and still does at times where like our bodies don't the physical part of us don't matter it's just this like um soul or like sometimes you picture it as like this glowing essence or something in us that that is what's important and goes off uh, it's where like we might not treat body or physical things as important because they just go away and and we think that only soul whatever whatever that would mean to you matters they actually would um put coins in people's mouths to help pay the toll to get over to hades uh, which is an interesting belief of what happens when you die also people have just believed in burying people so that one day they would be resurrected um, and that one day we wait for Jesus to come back and resurrected. We talk about that in the Christian church. It's a thing that throughout all of time people have uh, created legends and religions. Also just said, I think it's just done. We, When that happens, we're just done. We just kind of cease uh, to exist then. So there's, right, I'm sure you've thought of these or you've seen these or heard these, right? It's something, a mystery that forever, because forever, People have had to experience this thing where a body stops, where death comes. Um, 
in a recent survey, actually, it said 60 to 80 percent of Americans believe there was an afterlife or something after. I was actually surprised by that. It says those numbers have actually gone up. I think during COVID, num- those numbers went up. Uh, people actually interested in spiritual things has gone up. And so they believe there is something. They're actually in the survey. They asked, like, how certain are you? People weren't very certain, but they were hopeful that there was something. An afterlife, a heaven and a hell, or reincarnation, or there's a, been a popular belief that's been rising lately of like a fourth dimension uh, that people have been trying to access by taking certain drugs lately. There's like a, a rise in that. Um, even like sp- spiritualism has been on the rise, which is the idea that historically that you could talk to to um, to dead people. And so when that uh, arose, and all of a sudden we saw an increase in people believing and seeing they saw ghosts. All those kind of things, right? All those are connected to death and what happens after and how do we connect to those people and can we connect to those people? Even the idea that we're like in a simulation and you just restart your game. I got, I went down a lot longer than I should have YouTube <laughs> uh, rabbit this week as I started watching videos of people explaining why they're certain that we're in like a video game simulation. Um, and then what happens after that and how you restart that. Very fascinating. So all these ways, right, to explain this kind of, it feels unknown, it feels mysterious. And I think the question, um, maybe, I know that for me, I skip sometimes, is even why is it happening? It's so inevitable. You heard Tolkien say inevitable, right? Death uh, is a thing that, that happens, and it so much happens and always happens, and a thing we haven't been able to stop, that it's just, well, it happens. And then, so then let's talk about what happens after, because we can't stop it. And so today we want to look at maybe even the why a little bit. Why does death happen? And thankfully the gospel is really good news. And this is one of the things that's really good news is that there actually is an answer to this and a solution to this, a cure for this. Well, why has it happened? So you step back, maybe before you're uh, floating on a boat uh, on the river Styx, or uh, you're trying to explain what happens after. First you say, why did it happen? And then historically, there's lots of reasons for this too, is we've seen Typically, people have thought maybe angry gods, so some type of spiritual power is angry at people, so they've uh, ended ended their lives. Maybe it's natural selection. It's a balance of nature is why death happens. Maybe it's just we aren't quite healthy enough. We haven't reached a point where we can figure out how to keep ourselves alive with the right combinations of health and uh, uh, maybe drugs or supplements. And, and Maybe it's even just connected to our, our whole bodies. So it's, if we could find the right balance of, of our spiritual and our physical and our mental health, then it would allow us to live um, longer. Like in the Middle Ages, um, we saw that what they call the Black Death, right? People saw people dying all around them. This was a time actually that, that um, they say historically people had a belief, and actually it was common that if you had more money or you're wealthy or royal, um, you would live longer. That probably was a lot just because you had like could eat well and had cleaner places to live and access to medicine. But during the Black Death, people saw everyone dying. And so all of a sudden they realized, oh, death isn't even, uh, isn't hidden from anyone. It was a time where they saw actually uh, religion grow because people had to turn to something outside themselves. It's, it's all over the place. It's in all of our literature, all of our movies, all of our stories. It's connected to those things because it's in every story. And it's a thing that we so would love to stop and have not been able to stop. It's a thing that we've gotten better 
uh, caring for people. I, I, this was uh, astounding to me. I didn't realize this. Um, for many, many years throughout history, uh, around 50% of children didn't make it, which is so high. Until even in the 1950s, there still was like a 25% rate of children dying, which I, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of kids. And since then, we've been able to educate and learn new things. Uh, and actually, more of the world it just has access to some of those things. And so there's now places in the, in the world where 99% of children survive. And the article I was reading, it said 99% of children survive, which means like past 12. It said, but it's still so tragic that 100% of those people still eventually someday die. Oh, the article had this like hopefulness of like, hopefully we'll figure out someday how that won't be true. Uh, this is a thing that uh, I, I know many of us in the room deal with and even recently have dealt with very close uh, family members. And, and it just feels like a, such a weight, such an unstoppable force and such a thing that you go like, it's just, it's so wrong. And uh, today, thankfully, in Romans, we're going to hear this really good news. But first, I just want us to sit on this really real news. It seems often, if I read the news, if I listen to the news, if I just talk to people about how things are going, at least once a day, it feels like death has won again. It just, it, it's like, it's the unstoppable thing. And I think in a way, we kind of have to ignore it. Otherwise, it would be too hard to get through some days. And so this feeling that death wins and asking the question, where does this come from? And what do we do with it is the big question today. And I am excited to share with you some really good news uh, about this and why that even matters to our lives. So we're in a series in the book of Romans and uh, excited to continue this series. We're going through kind of four sections of Romans. We're in the second section, uh, which we're calling, how do we live then? And it looks like, it looks into like, so what, it, so what does it matter? We learned about that, that sin is real, that we've turned from God and been disobedient, that Christ has come to make us right with God again, that he's given us this good news. He's given us this grace. And uh, we are going to continue to look at what does that look like then to live that out what does it look like more changed by this good news, this gospel? A couple of things to be aware of. We have a lot of resources on our app, also on our website. Uh, all of our messages and tons of other stuff, including studies and Romans and lots of things. There's also a, a podcast that our senior pastor has put together. Steve, if you'd love to hear more about Romans with him, it's really great. And then we have these uh, Romans journals, uh, Bible journals. So it's got scripture, all the book of Romans, and space to write in. We have Those are free to you. We still have a lot of those out on the communion tables. Please, please take one of those. Uh, journal in it, take notes. It, it's a way to kind of capture these a um, couple years that we're going through Romans together. All right, let's hop into Romans together. If you have a Bible you want to turn there, we're just going to be in Romans 5 and 2 Corinthians today. Um, and what we looked at last week in Romans 5 was these gifts that were given to us by the gospel. This good news brings us really good gifts, which is peace with God, uh, the grace of God. We can rejoice in hope that we have, even through suffering and this great news of God's deep love for us. These things that we learn about our good father, our faithful father, who brings us peace and hope and goodness and joy and love. Things that we so deeply desire that he's given us. And then right from there, we go into a passage that's going to explain to us this great exchange that's happened, this great switch that's happened in our lives as we look all the way back to Adam and, and Jesus. Today we're going to look at Adam and Jesus 
and how that explains this mystery of death and the solution for this death, this cure for death, uh, which I'm uh, encouraged by. So let's just start that. Romans 5, 12 through uh, 14. We're going to go all the way to verse 21 today. Just take some time to walk through it. All right, I'm going to start for us right here. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, remember all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve, sin entered through one man, the death uh, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin is in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. All right, we're going we're gonna to walk through this a little bit. It starts with just explaining to us there was sin in the world that came from Adam. Adam was the first, right? They were the first to turn from God's command. Do not eat from this tree. And they did. They walked away from what God had commanded them. What God said, this will bring you life to, to stay away from this. If you go to it, it'll actually bring you death. And then they decide to move towards death and disobey. And so that is where it started. That, that was the spark that started. And then a history of sin in all people came from that. And that sin, that turning from God then, what is owed to us for that sin is death. And so sin actually then ushers in death. So right out of the gate, we hear, why does death happen? It's because of disobedience, turning away from what God has for us, and we turn to something else. And that actually brings, that turning is sin, and that actually brings death to us. That's why death comes. Not because of an angry God, not because we didn't follow all the right steps. It's because we just weren't turning to the God we were created to turn to. Uh, and that life away from God is death. And it says it came through one person. This person, this passage is referring to Adam, the first, uh, the, our, our first representative. This week, thankfully, I love when things like this happen. This week, I just saw this great news. They used AI and all the information they have historically so far to create a picture of what they thought the first Adam would look like. So scientists in Princeton, this is real, scientists in Princeton's reconstructed a 3D model of how Adam, the first human being by God, might look. This is unbelievable. This is like exactly Vin Diesel. Is that crazy? In fact, this was tweeted by like a theater. Uh, is that, and then this started this, I just, this is what I love, social media. How else would I have found all these great things? So then people started creating new AI pictures of things. Like here's a picture of Joseph. Scientists at Stanford reconstructed <laughs> Joseph. Looks kind of like Andre the Giant. <laughs> it is. I didn't know that. That makes so much sense. Andre the Giant is Jesus's dad. I just love it. Okay, that's, we don't really know exactly what Adam looked like, but picture Vin Diesel today when we're thinking about Adam. I think he'll be playing him in the new movie. <laughs> Adam, uh, I, what else can I show that? It worked out perfect. Uh, Adam came and sinned, and, and as a representative, God, he's the first human, the first, the representative of us, and as he sins, then he passes it on. It's like as he has kids, they pass on this, whether it's uh, disease, right, this this brokenness, this essence about who we are, this thing, sin in this passage even is saying, uh, there was sin in the world, and sometimes we might think it's because they broke the law, which when Moses comes down from the mountaintop, he has the tablets, it has the law, it says, hey, here's what you're supposed to do and not do, here's what life looks like, like to live the life, a full life, a healthy life, this is what God calls us to. 
before when we have those, right? We go, okay, well, it's, we just, okay, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do those lists. Well, and you're like, before that, we didn't know. And it's saying actually before that, but by the time between Adam and Moses, that time, there was still just, you just were sinful. Like you, there's still just an essence about who you were. You still turned away from God. And we actually see that all over the place in many stories that we see in Genesis, even before that happens, right? We see stories of, uh, think about before Moses even came down, this is like a perfect moment. He goes up to get it. And while this, he, he says, hey, stay here. I'm going to go get this thing on the mountain. And then God's people decide to melt down all of their jewelry and form a golden calf and worship it. So when he comes back with the laws, before they even have heard it, they've already decided to turn from God. Who just rescued them through the Red Sea. Who just rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. They've decided to turn to this golden calf. Or, or think of the... Uh, Every story really in scripture is the story of this, right? God calls someone to something and they say, eh, the story of Jonah. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to this place and tell these people this good news of who I am and have them turn to me. And he says, ah, and he goes on a boat, right? And the seas churn up and he gets thrown in. We know the story. He's in uh, a giant fish worshiping in there, I guess. Um, or the story right out of the gates of Adam. Adam and Eve have a kid. There's no law yet. They have a kid and they're son kills their other son, which is attributed to them as sin. And so there is a, it's, I think it's helpful to understand there's a part, part of us that's just born with sin. And then there's also the, just the action of us, of the way God has called us, that as we read scripture, he calls us to things and calls us not to things. There's also just the action of us turning away from those things. I think depending on the moment I'm having, I might think I'm just not following the rules and God's angry. If I could just follow the rules be fine. Well, there's still just Drew. There's still just like Drew who just is sinful. It's just is sin that comes with him. And there's the part where I also disobey. It's this whole package and that package leads us to death. Those disobedient acts and that turning from God and that just uh, being of Adam turns us to death. Okay. Well, Paul, you got us in this place. Explain to us what that looks like. What, how, how is there good news still in this? He goes on. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many die by the trespass of one man, the trespass, the sin, right, of Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Saying, how good is this? One man brought sin into the world and one man is going to bring grace. He's going to bring rescue to everyone. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So judgment of sin, you've turned away from God and, and, and your wage for that here in Romans also, what you get paid for that sin is death. And then how there's so many sins throughout all of time. And one man, Jesus, dies for those sins. He pays that thing that we owe and we're justified, made right. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more were those who received God's abundance, provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So he's helping make this great comparison of this one man brought sin in and he's a representative of us. And that feels very unfair. It feels like, so Adam did this? A long time ago, I wasn't there. 
I didn't say, hey, you should eat the apple or pomegranate or whatever it is, man. <laughs> right? That seems unfair. It carries with me. Well, if that is true, then if, if he represented me, then also this one person who came who was perfect, who was God, could die on a cross and, and represent me. And so then I don't die on a cross. This is, this is the core foundation of the gospel. That one person has sinned and caused uh, this brokenness, this disease, this, this uh, global forever and ever pandemic. And this person has come and brought the cure for it. And so as one person brought it, one person delivers us from it. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. He's just kind of reiterating this. Hey, if you didn't get it this way, I'll say it again. It'll fill a few different words. For just as through the disobedient of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. As one was disobedient, and we carried the hand in our family line, one now is obedient, and he's carried us through. I really appreciate, um, uh, Eugene Peterson writes the message version, I share this a lot, but the, of uh, a scripture, I really liked his message of a part of Romans 5 here. It just really, it, like, it, it felt like I was hearing a story. I, in my mind, I now read uh, the message in Tolkien's voice, like a mumbly British accent. I won't do that, but that's kind of how I feel like, oh, if Eugene Peterson was British, it'd be, he'd be perfect. Um, let me just read the same passage. It might kind of bring to life a little more of, of what we're getting at. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin puts crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was the wonderful life sentence. Isn't that a great way to say that? From a death sentence to a life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Absolute life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift. This grand setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides. If that one thing provides that, can you imagine how good this one acted, how abundant this grace would be here? It is in a nutshell. See the nutshell. I think Tolkien said that word. So now I can picture it. In a nutshell. That's not his act. Sorry. That was terrible. I'm just, I promise I'll never do that again. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all, us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. And one man said yes to God and put many people in the right. This is like if, if you had to go, what kind of what's the gospel? This is it. We, what's the answer to this question about death? How do we get there? How do we get out of this? What's the cure for this? Here it is. We, we put ourselves there. And Jesus has rescued us from there. We, we couldn't figure it out. We still can't figure it out. And there's one who has come and figured it out. There's a, just a, so we get this great comparison, just even in this passage that we hear. Adam says no to God. Jesus, though, says yes to God. With Adam, we inherit his sin, and with Jesus, we inherit his righteousness. With Adam, we earn death. With Jesus, he gives us life. Not a life we learn, earned at all, because we've earned death, but he flips that and gives us life as he's taken death. 
One trespass brings condemnation for all, and one sacrifice brings justification for all. And Adam's life brings destructive uh, life to us, and Jesus brings a redemptive life to us. This is the hope, right, in all of this. Carl Bar, he's wearing a beret, so this must be really good. He says, if a man be in Adam, he is an old, fallen, imprisoned creature. If he be in Christ, he is a creature new, reconciled, and redeemed. There he dies, here he enters into life. Look at the picture here, it's incredible. This is incredible news. How did death come? It came through sin that leads to death, the payment. And I have this sin now, I owe death. And Jesus steps in the way and says, I'm going to take that for you. And now you have been redeemed. And then we get to the end of this. It, it, this is such incredible news. There should be, as he said it, I feel like a swelling of music and uh, his voice getting louder. Do you get this? How incredible this is? Friends, as Paul's writing this, he says, The law has brought in, was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a pretty wild statement. He says, the law was right. So there's a season where there wasn't this law. God didn't say, hey, here's the way you're supposed to live. There, there was a sense. We knew how to live, right? But even Adam's sons end up killing each other. There's sin and there's probably a sense in there. It makes me consider, like, think, there's a sense where, like, why are we dying? It's this question we've been asking for a long time as stories have been told about. And, and there was many stories created and mythologies created and religion created. Why are we dying and what happens? And so we're trying to learn what does that look like? And then God comes with his law and goes, this is why you're dying. You're not running after death. This is what life looks like. And you're running after these things. The law is like this gift to say, hey, this is going to show you that you need me. You're running to so many things that you think are bringing life, and they're not. So here, here, this is what life looks like. This is what you're created for and made for. This law isn't this bad thing that comes and says, oh, now you don't follow the rules. You're in big trouble. It's a father saying, okay, you're, you're, not, you're not getting it. Here, this is what it looks like. And now you end up, we end up breaking those laws and continuing to just turn to other things. And so as the law is brought, it actually increases. Now there's more things to turn from. There's more ways to break his law his, and be disobedient. And so the sin increases. It's just these, these mountains of sin increase, which means when Jesus dies on a cross for that, those sins and takes that on and takes that death on that was owed to us, that means there's just more grace that is given to, to, in order to make up for all those sins. So it's wild to think of that. The more we sin, the more grace increases. This incredible gift. So as sin reigned, grace then can now reign. And of course, uh, Eugene Tolkien Peterson says this, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. 
a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. That's good news. Did you hear this? When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. It feels like this breaking news. It's not true. Grace wins. That's a big deal. Because many days of my life, it feels like sin wins. It feels like death wins. This, in the last six months of my life, I sat at my mom's funeral and just a month ago sat at my grandfather's funeral. And it feels very much in that moment, sin has won. The death has won. And Paul here is reminding us in this moment, it feels this way, but a cure has been found, has been given to us graciously given to us and that sin threatens death and grace laughs at it. That, that there's a this moment where we might feel that sin still, still has us and we forget that there's a day when Jesus will return and put an end to all that. And right now we can soak ourselves in that grace. So I just want us to look here. I, there's three things that have come to mind that I think are really important. Just as we now live this out, what does this look like to live out this good news that grace has won and that there's Grace abounds. So much grace for every single one of you and every single one of your neighbors and every single one of your coworkers and your families, even your kids, there's grace for. I know. And those, there's some serious sinners here and there's even grace for them. So let me share the three things that have been really hit me. This, these actually come from 2 Corinthians, uh, another thing that Paul has uh, given us. And so today, I just want us to be encouraged by this. Consider what this would look like this week in your life, that grace makes us new, that we carry grace with us, and that we get to deliver this grace, this grace, this abundance amount of grace that we have been given. So first, grace makes us new. In 2 Corinthians 5, we hear, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if we've said yes, we've turned ourselves and put our faith in Christ, what he's done, his death and resurrection has defeated death and sin, then we are a new creation. A new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. That sounds a lot like what we just read, doesn't it? And so first, we can look and become, I think, consumed at times with the old, with the sin. It's really easy to dwell on the sin. It makes, this one makes it hard for me to like watch the news because it feels like it's just like a story like, here's some more sin. And it makes me really sad. It's really easy to focus on just see that, right? And forgetting that Christ has come to make things new, to make us new. That we can look to Christ and we can look even to the day that Christ will return, knowing that he'll make everything new. And that death doesn't win. And that our old selves that feel broken and ultimately feel like a, that we're walking towards the day that will be our death isn't actually our last day, but that he's made us new. We're going to actually look at this more and more as we go through Romans. But what does it look like to be these new people changed? How does that change us? Secondly, we carry this grace with us. This is a question that comes up for me of like, great, this grace is true, but I still, uh, you still were just at a funeral. You still suffer. You still feel pain. You still hurt physically, emotionally, right? My, my heart hurts every day. So what does this look like? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, we hear, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. 
or something kind of cool that happens. Right now in our bodies, in our mortal broken bodies, we still each day do experience death. Here it even says we're given over to death. Whether it's actual death, but often it's just sin, right? Brokenness, it's, it, it's like harsh words. It's broken relationships. It's, it's actually maybe just physically hurt. It's just weakness. It's surprise illness. It's fear, it's worry. All those things. And yes, grace abounds, but I still feel those things. And so 2 Corinthians 4 is reminding us we carry those with us because we get to act, kind of act this out each day knowing that even within our suffering and our brokenness, we still get to show the life that is in Christ, that a person who is in Christ and a person who is not in Christ can be doing the same thing and suffering in the same way and life can be different for them. There can be hopefulness, there can be grace, there can be love, there can be peace and joy even while we deeply suffer. At the same time, there can be hopefulness knowing that death and sin don't get the last say. That we know the headline that grace wins, and we don't just live with the headline that death again has won. It makes me think of um, my friend Colin. You guys know Colin, Melanie, and I are in a seven-year game of the game Pandemic. We're playing this game, this version of Pandemic. It's a board game that you play like 15 times as you play the board changes. And we were just going to do it quick together. And then we just realized we've been playing it for seven years. So every like couple <laughs> year, probably we get together to play it again. And then we have to remember the rules. Well, in this game, uh, we played it a lot during the pandemic because we felt like that was right to do, to play the game pandemic. In the game pandemic, you're ultimately as a group, you're trying to find cures for diseases and then eventually like eradicate it. So it's all out of the planet. But it makes me think of this game because I often think I'm in this game. Um, right. Uh, so in the game, you find cures, but that doesn't mean the disease is gone. The disease still kind of spreads, but you're just kind of, ma- you're kind of just maintaining it, right? You're, you're uh, trying to stop it. You're bringing the cure to different people, uh, to places to like get rid of the disease, but it keeps spreading. And until you like completely get rid of it off the planet, it's still around, right? And, and I think that maybe is helpful. This is where we're at. There's a cure. There's a cure for death and sin, but we're still kind of waiting for all of it to be made new, for all of it to be eradicated. And so we carry grace with us. Even in our broken and our suffering, we carry this grace with us. This grace is what brings us hope. This grace is what brings us faithfulness. This grace is what allows me to pray in my, in my suffering each day because I know there's a God who has shown me his great love for me and these great gifts he has for me through Christ. That we don't live in like, everything's great now, but we know, hey, Christ has come to, to cure this, and one day he will come and make it all new. The last thing is that we get to deliver grace. Not only is grace make us new, and there's enough of it for all of us, not only is grace something we carry with us, even in the midst of our suffering, but grace is something that we actually get to deliver to others. We're like all like uh, Amazon delivery drivers every day going to our workplaces and in our homes and our neighborhoods, carrying some grace with us because every single person you meet needs more grace. Thankfully, there's tons of it. They're never out of it. We're never out of grace. Uh, and we always can deliver. And so we get to deliver grace. And in Second Corinthians, we hear it this way. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ resolved that relationship, redeemed us, made us right, righteous, justified us, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he was committed to uh, us, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God are making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so in him we might be, become the righteousness of God. This is the our story. Our story is that we've been reconciled to God, made right, right? Sin and death kept us from God, and Jesus came. The one representative dies for us, so now we're reconciled to God, and now we get to carry that with us. I like to think of it as, as if we're like marinating in grace each day. You open your Bible and we're reading about Jesus and what God's done. We're marinating ourselves in grace. We get to soak it up and so that when you go somewhere, people get to taste and see a little bit of, of what God is. You get to bring grace to those around you. As we are filled with grace, we overflow grace, right? All these different ways you can think of this, but ultimately we get to come and bring reconciliation to others. We get to be the people of grace, people of hope, people of peace. I am... Um, it wasn't long ago, I hung out with uh, a guy who is a, it doesn't matter that he's single, but I think it helps you understand maybe. I hung out and we were going to have dinner and I went over to his uh, apartment. We were going to hang for just a little bit. And he said, oh, let me make you some dinner while we hang. And I said, oh, cool. He's like, I have this new recipe I'm excited to try. And I went, oh, I didn't know he was like a cook. And I learned he, he wasn't. He, um, he brought out a plate and it was like, um, it was a piece of chicken. Uh, and it was like the the it felt like play chicken like the the outside of the chicken was so rubbery it was like a thick layer of rubber i went like oh cool what'd you do with it is this like a cool like how do i ask it was very dry very flavorless he said oh i tried this thing i was watching this youtube video and they said like uh how to make like super fast meals and so he said i just took out some frozen chicken from the freezer and i threw it on a plate and I just nuked it for like 10 minutes. And he's like, bingo, bingo. I mean, it takes two seconds. And we got chicken. I was like, well, chicken, I guess we'll <laughs> call it right. So I, he said, oh, do you, how do you do chicken? And I'll think, I'm glad you asked because this is a nice way to talk. He said, I don't really, I haven't learned, I'm just learning how to cook. I said, well, it's great. Let's figure it out, right? So I explained, well, usually I, I, I uh, have chicken out often if I can. I don't have frozen chicken. I just get like fresh, not fresh, but not frozen uh, from my favorite Aldi. And then we, I, I said, I just throw it in a Ziploc bag with like a bunch of Italian dressing. And he's like, well, that's weird. Like, no, it like, it sits in there and soaks up all the goodness, whatever that, I don't know what it is, but it like soaks it up. And then I throw it on the grill for a few minutes and it tastes so good. It's juicy and tender. It doesn't have the rubber crust. It has all this flavor to it because it's been soaking up all these herbs and spices. But it has to kind of sit in the bag for a day. Like I let it sit in my fridge and just marinate. So later, there's like a week or two later, I get a text. The, the marinating thing is amazing for me. <laughs> Oh yeah, look at that. I'm not a good cook, but I learn, you know, I could pass on that little bit that I know. That's us, right? We we get to be people who soak in this abundant grace. We have so much sin. You are such a big sinner, which means there is so much grace for you. And we get to sit in our Ziploc bags and just soak in that grace. And so as we go out each day, we get to be people of grace and people around you are dying for grace. Are, are, 
literally dying, waiting for someone who can say, it's okay. It's okay. We'll figure this out. Dying for someone to not say, I, I need you to do more. You didn't do enough. But someone to say like, hey, that good work with that. How, how can I help you more with that? Our kids and our houses are dying for more grace. And we get to bring that to them. Our families are dying for more grace. How can we be with people and show them grace and this peace and this joy that we have because we're just soaking in it and they get to just eat it up. I mean, it's just delicious to have grace around you in a place and in a culture where we're told a lot of who we have to be and how we have to be and that we're not enough and we can't do enough. To have grace brought to you is one amazing treat and brings them to life. As we wrap up here, I'll bring uh, my twin up to help us lead some worship. But I just want to encourage you this. Last week, I gave you a little homework. Uh, if, uh, if any of you did it, I won't check. You all get A's. That's grace. Um, I asked you to read uh, Mark 4 and 5 and just look at the gifts where we saw the gifts of grace and peace and joy. Um, and at the end of those stories, at the end of Mark 5, you hear this story about this girl who dies. She's, she actually dies. Sin ha- has affected her like everyone and she has died it's a it's a child of a family and jesus comes and raises her to life can you imagine that moment parents who go from weeping and feeling the effects of sin and death and in the moment jesus steps in their house and their daughter now is alive that's that's today that's what we get to remember today grace abounds grace reigns and so i'm encourage you to continue reading of mark this week if you want a little more homework, read just Mark 6. It's a story of Jesus sending out his disciples, sending out his grace deliverers. And they're going to go and actually cast demons out of people. They're going to show, they're going to actually physically act out this spiritual truth that we have. That darkness and death and sin are getting pushed out of people and life is being brought. He's actually sending his people as he gets to send us out to do the same thing. He also is going to feed 5,000. There's all these really cool things that happen in Mark 6. I encourage you to read this and consider with your grace glasses on where you see God freely giving, rescuing, feeding, bringing life to people. Just be encouraged by that. Go, oh my goodness, God is good. You're going to see Jesus actually act out this truth that we have of bringing life. And, and check out where maybe sin and death are trying to win and that grace wins. Maybe even while you're reading, you can whisper it to yourself. Nice try. Nice try, death, but grace wins. I'm going to give us a, an opportunity to respond to this good news this, that we get to hear. We're going to sing together. We have an opportunity to take communion, which is an opportunity to, uh, to break crackers, uh, bread, and, and drink some juice, wine, to remind ourselves of Jesus' body broken, his blood shed, the death that he took so that we could have life, a life we don't deserve, but a great gift of grace that he's given us. Also, I have people in the back room who would love to pray for you. What an opportunity to just uh, step into a moment of grace, have someone pray and care for you. Um, and you also can give as a response uh, as always, there's a box in the back on our community table over here. Also, um, you can give online or on our app. Um, is an easy way to give. Uh, we're excited to be able to respond to you today. A few questions to consider. Do you know Jesus, the one who, who has ended death's reign? It began grace's reign. When does sin and death feel closest to you? It's not, just to consider that and, 
and even give that to the Lord? Who reminds you that grace wins? And who do you get to deliver grace to? Is there someone already, maybe God's putting on your heart to say, this is going to be really hard, but I want to deliver grace to this person. I want them to know that they are deeply loved and cared for and made in God's image. And uh, you get to deliver some grace to someone who deeply needs it. And maybe that's even just starting by praying for that. Um, Let me pray for us now, and then we'll worship together. Uh, Father, you're good to us. Oh, you're good to us. When sin and death seem to reign, Lord, uh, you don't stop. You don't run from us. You're not just an angry God who says, well, you got yourselves into this. God, you came and rescued us. As we piled more and more sin up, your grace became even more and more. And today we celebrate that good, good news of this grace that reigns, this grace that abounds, this enormous amount of grace that you've given to us. I pray we would just soak in that and be healed by that and be reminded of that. Oh, you're good to us. Thanks that our family here gets to worship you now together. Amen.